Across the nation, as our kids are busily working on finishing out their school year, there's one organization very vested in the status quo that is working overtime to keep teachers from their most important job, teaching kids. Since the Janus decision, that Supreme Court decision that we have talked about here on Reality Check, uh, the unions have organized walkouts and strikes in at least 10 states and more are planned. They're not just trying to rebuild their tattered organization and show value, but they're creating dissension over innovations that have helped public schools, like charter schools, for example. This happens to be National Charter Schools Week, and the unions are notoriously absent from the celebration. There's good reason, of course. They're focused on thwarting a constitutional protection of employees' rights, whether or not they choose to bargain. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. We chose the name Reality Check because a lot of what you read about education these days is often wrong or misleading. If you want to know what's really going on in American education, from K through career, you're going to need a reality check. Welcome to Reality Check. I'm Jeannie Allen, and this week we are talking about teacher freedom. Reality Check is the weekly podcast from CER about all things education, and I'm delighted to have two very special guests from the left and the right coast, New York and California, with me today. First, Bob Bellafiore, consultant, political strategist in New York, but most importantly, Bob, gosh, I shouldn't even be reading this because I've known you for more than 20 years. He was the chief of staff uh, under New York Governor Pataki that helped bring in workers' compensation reform, the state's charter school act. He later went on to serve as director of the SUNY uh, State University of New York Institute of Charter Schools. And he works uh, tirelessly with organizations such as New Choice New York to educate public employees about how they can exercise their constitutional rights on labor union issues. Harmeet Dillon, our other guest today, is a San Francisco-based trial lawyer with an emphasis on First Amendment issues. And in anticipation of the Janus decision, when the California Teachers Association pressured its members to sign recommitment agreements to force their hand, which we'll talk about in a minute, Harmeet, along with the Freedom Foundation, uh, signed on to represent teachers who signed such agreements and to help out all of our educators to understand truly their rights and what it means to be free. Welcome, Bob, and welcome, Harmeet. Thank you, Happy to be, to be here. So let me first start by saying, I know because I rushed through a whole bunch of stuff because I wanted to put it out there for people that are, A, not used to this uh, issue, and B, not as familiar since it's been some time since the Janus decision was argued in the Supreme Court. Harmi, let me just turn to you and have you give us a couple of sentences about that decision and why it's relevant for anyone listening. Well, the Janus decision was a landmark case that said that teachers uh, and other government workers have a First Amendment right to not be forced to speak, basically, through a union. And then the theory is that where the existing law framework in many states in the country is to take a certain amount of agency fees from public sector union-eligible people, regardless of whether they want to join the union or not, uh, that that effectively is coerced speech. And so it frees teachers and other public sector workers from having to involuntarily participate uh, in, in these unions and their largely political activities. And the court held that any consent 
to join a union must be clear and affirmative in advance of the union dues being taken. Okay, so clear and affirmative. So in other words, you, you, you invite me to the party and I come or don't, but no one forces me to come. That's right. And so what the litigation has been since the decision came out last summer, it's been uh, about uh, 10 months now, has been over um, what is clear and affirmative uh, timing. And in, in the case that we filed, what duties does a union have in advance to tell uh, potential members about their right not to participate? Uh, in in the union. And so th- these are some of the issues that remain to be litigated, although we've had a couple of recent cases that um, I think are beginning to make some law on this. And Harmeet Dillon, as a trial attorney and representing these teachers, what, what is it that made them come to you? I mean, what exactly happened? Well, the Freedom Foundation is a nonprofit that is really focused on helping government workers get out from under forced union participation. Um, and there's certainly many workers out there who value what a union can bring, and, and maybe in some businesses in particular, some sectors, they may play a positive role. But increasingly what a lot of workers have found around the country is that their dues are being deployed to help elect uh, liberal politicians who then cut better deals for unions and union bosses specifically. So uh, Freedom Foundation has been... Um, deploying teams of canvassers to government buildings and going door-to-door, doing home visits, using direct mail, email, text messages, billboards, and social media to educate government workers about their freedom to opt out of their union and stop paying dues. So for a teacher in California, the union dues um, can exceed $1,000 for somebody who's on a five-figure salary and not making a lot of money to start with in a very expensive state. That's a huge amount of money for many families. So um, what what we, what they have been finding in this uh, recruitment effort to tell people about their rights is that, um, you know, the same is going on on the other side. So the union is sending its union workers and union leaders to the classrooms, um, to door-to-door and other direct messaging as well to convince um, teachers and other government workers that they should stay in the union. And so it's a, really a kind of lobbying effort on the part of both of these groups now uh, whereas uh, prior to the Janus decision, there was no space for a Freedom Foundation or other nonprofits that do this type of advocacy work. And so at least now there's a chance for workers to keep that money, and, and then it's more of their personal choice whether to belong or not. Well, and it sounds like the unions really are working overtime to attract people. And frankly, if you believe in competition and you believe that you should make a case for something, uh, then more power to them. But it's not necessarily that rosy of a picture, is it, Bob? No, it's not. For one, uh, I mean, Harmeet, we're talking about teachers here, but the level of uh, coercion required inclusion in a union goes far beyond that. We've heard from medical residents at public hospitals, county-owned hospitals. These These are surgeons who were compelled to join a union. Um... Uh, because they were told, you know, prior to Janus, they essentially had no choice. And if they did not want to join the union, they still had to pay, you know, these so-called agency fees, which are basically 97 98% uh, of what union dues uh, would be. Um, here in New York, uh, and I think in some other states, uh, we found uh, 
how can I gently put it, a tremendous sense of symbiosis between the government and the public employee, uh, which is a very nice term from the life sciences, but in politics, as we know, it translates into you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, In New York, uh, the legislature passed and uh, the governor, Andrew Cuomo, signed legislation uh, to make it easier for the unions to keep people in and harder for workers to get out, even if they wanted to, uh, essentially putting the sand in the gears of people trying to exercise their constitutional rights. And that's, you know, that's made it harder for workers. It's, it, they, they don't make it easy. They, uh, they either slow walk the paperwork or flat out obstruct or intimidate people into uh, or out of exercising their rights. And, you know, when you think about what the Supreme Court said in the Janus decision, that this is a constitutionally protected Supreme Court affirmed right to a choice, you know, you would wonder how governments would respond, especially in the blue coastal states that Harmit and I live in, how they would respond if anyone tried to obstruct anybody else's constitutionally affirmed, constitutionally guaranteed, Supreme Court affirmed right to a choice. So the government isn't really helping, uh, playing footsie with the unions, making it harder for people to to get their money back. Uh, And even if people file the paperwork the right way, it still takes months and months for them to get uh, the dues deductions ended. and it's part because of the political process that we face here. Uh, unions are tremendous players in the political realm. Uh, there's probably a philosophical difference, a philosophical problem with having management, essentially the government, negotiate with the powerful entities that help support their reelection uh, for the money that the government takes from the taxpayers to give to these unions. You know, there's something sort of weird about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and New York, of course, uh, they, they wear that symbiosis uh, proudly on their shoulders. I mean, the governor, Governor Cuomo, talks about, uh, you know, this is always be a union state and we'll never let anybody get in the way of that. And he's essentially signing off uh, endless amounts of taxpayer dollars uh, for uh, political supporters. Give us more examples, Armid, about ways that the union is trying to keep teachers, for example, in California captive uh, so that they can be aware. Because it does seem to me also, I want to hear you both talk about this. You know, a lot of people think this is an unpleasant discussion and, you know, why do you have to talk about the unions? And, you know, the reality is most teachers, like parents, just wake up in the morning. They're not red or blue. They, they, they want to do their work. They want to raise their families or support the schools they signed up to provide their expertise in. And so I've got to think that for most rank and file educators, at least the ones we talk to, but there's millions out there that are not happy this is happening or or are they just unaware or are they just been convinced that they need this protection because everybody else is evil? I mean, I'm just trying to process that, Harmeet. Right. So there, you're absolutely correct that um, now that the court has come out with its uh, very clear declaration of a civil right to be free from compelled speech in Janus, uh, the battlefield has pivoted to 
other areas. But you know, stepping back a little bit, um, the union machine has seen this outcome coming for some time. I mean, we may, your listeners may recall that there was um, a very similar case brought by a, a California plaintiff, uh, Ms. Friedrichs, or Becca Friedrichs, who was on the verge of, we believe, getting a similar result uh, when Justice Scalia died a couple of years ago. So even back then, for, for, for years, the unions have been bracing for this potential outcome because the writing was on the wall that uh, an increasing majority of the court is likely to view this as a civil right. So you know, right away, California legislature came out with um, a law that protects the unions from any retroactive requirement to disgorge fees that were collected prior to Janus. Uh, and so that's one thing that they've done. Another is the unions strengthened or put into place rules that um, required an elaborate uh, paperwork process to opt out. Um, some have required that teachers uh, have to deliver uh, paperwork and by hand. You know, they can't use modern methods of communication like electronic signatures and so forth. It has to be done within a certain sort of 30-day window in a year. Um, so if you signed up for the union in uh, June before the Janus decision came out, uh, you would not be able to opt out until, uh, you know, this coming June. So you were kind of stuck with it. And, and the unions did a big push right before Janice came out to actually sign people up. And uh, I would argue use some deceptive tactics to do that. Um, so now what they're doing, now that uh, Freedom Foundation and other nonprofits are out there educating workers about their rights, um, you know, they're, they're now having to compete a little bit and, and articulate what the union does, but I, I, I am sure that's going to come along with some scaremongering and fear-mongering tactics about how teachers who don't belong to the union will um, end up getting shafted in terms of their compensation or their benefits or other things like that. So I think it's going to be a multi-year process to actually educate workers about their rights and about how their rights are not really going to be materially affected in any negative way if they choose to keep that extra $1,000 in their pockets. The, the, the main impact is going to be maybe less lavish uh, benefits and lifestyles for union bosses who have been um, using this money for um, exclusively, really, to elect uh, Democratic politicians who give them cozy deals. And uh, I, I think symbiotic uh, uh, is, 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 a, is a great word to describe that relationship. And, um, you know, Consumers, being parents of kids, really have no voice in that, and it hasn't been good for education in California, which is near the bottom. So we're hoping that once people are freed from these uh, bonds of mandatory union membership, we begin to see some competition, we begin to see some new thinking and fresh thinking, and maybe some more people even getting into the um, getting into the business of teaching, if you will, the, the vocation of teaching, mm -hmm. uh, and overall improving our standards in California. It's like you, you got dropped into New York and have been spying on what's happened here. Uh, <laughs> the, the unions on both coasts are playing from the, from the exact same playbook. For instance, uh, uh, the, one of the bills that the legislature passed and Andrew Cuomo signed uh, allows unions to uh, submit dues deduction authorization via email. But if you want to get out of the dues deduction, you want to opt out, 
You've got to send two letters. You have to hand deliver them. And then in New York, the state controller who oversees the state payroll will not deauthorize your deduction. I know there's too many negatives in that, but will not allow the worker to get their money back until the union says it's okay. Even though Which it's is, clear the law does not any longer permit that. Yes, yeah, so the, the, the law doesn't. The law, the, the, I think the states are up to themselves. For me, it's an attorney. I'm just a, I'm a broken down ex newspaper reporter. <laughs> um, but the Supreme Court decision says this must be the case, but the states implement this any way they want. And as much as what's in statute is scary, what's happening behind the scenes, sort of sotto voce, is even scarier. For me, it's akin like if you see an ant in your living room, God knows what's behind the wall. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff behind the wall that is, uh, you know, that is insidious. It's, it's the slow walking of paperwork. It's the uh, dragging the process out for people. It's making it hard for them even to get their information. I talked to a county worker in western New York who just didn't feel represented by the union, just wanted to get his money back, and he couldn't even get a copy of his, uh, of his dues deduction card. From his personnel office, because everywhere he looked, he was treated like a rat. He was treated like like a turncoat, like he was like he was Benedict Arnold, um, and he was petrified. And mostly, what we had to do was hold his hand and tell him, "Look, you can do this." So many workers in New York feel that way. That New Choice New York this week is bringing Mark Janice and Rebecca Friedrichs to New York to talk to workers behind closed doors. They don't want they don't want their names seen. These people are afraid to be essentially outed. Um, I you know I sympathize with the school teacher who's like, well, I could get my thousand dollars back, but then get a dead mouse in my coffee cup in the lounge. Right, right. And, and 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 I've been confronted. I've been yelled at. I've been you know I had people threaten to come to my house, you know, and demonstrate on my lawn and tell them what they think of me being a union buster. Um, I can't imagine what it's like. If you're in a closed situation like a teacher's life and everybody's giving you the stink eye, uh, uh, it's, um, uh, it's, it's got to be like, you know, I mean, people get, to, people treat, get treated like, you know, like they're rats in the mob. Well, and they're just being convinced more and more. Unfortunately, teachers, uh, again, are, are, are kind of victims to this. Where is the counterweight? No organization or group of people out there have the, the hundreds of millions of dollars in their budgets that the NEA, the AFT, the state unions have. I mean, everybody who's ever been to Washington has seen the NEA's palatial building on 16th Street. This is their full-time job. There's not a bunch of us sitting around saying, no, 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 excuse me, Miss Smith. Let me explain to you, that's not the way it works. And if you want insurance and if you want other things and be protected, you can go here and buy it for $100, not $1,000, right? You can go to the Association of American Educators. You can go to your state group or you can just get it through your Knights of Columbus, whatever it is. But that doesn't happen. And so they are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, Bob, you talked about kind of the response and, you know, threatening to go to people's homes, they have. And I mean, in charter schools where they're trying to heavily unionize charter schools, uh, they are threatening a lot of the leaders of schools. And I'm just, you know, I'm incredulous that there is not an outcry like there is when anyone else's rights are taken away. My God, it's easier to take away someone's land because there was a spotted owl 
in the backyard than it is to get out of the union. What's up with that, Harmeet? Well, I think we're being a little bit pessimistic about here about this. Uh, okay, good. W- with all due respect, good. Lift us it's out. It's been less than a year, and you know, in less than a year, there've been multiple lawsuits in the key jurisdictions in California. We've had like you know almost I think ten of them to help free workers from these bonds. Um, and and Freedom Foundation's efforts, just taking one nonprofit working on this issue on the West Coast since June of 2018. So since Janice came out, they've personally directly helped more than 50,000 people on the West Coast uh, leave the government unions and different unions and stop paying dues. That's $40 million every year that will no longer go to fund government unions and political activities. So that's a big start in a year. And if you multiply that out, um, and if there's some organization happening on the uh, pro-worker side, on the conservative side, to help come up with some alternatives, I think ultimately you're going to see a a marketplace in advocacy for workers going forward. And and let's face it, I mean, I th- you know, we all love to hate unions, but there have been times in our country's history where uh, people have, you know, been workers have been exploited, and so there's been a place for unions. And I've had members of my family who have belonged to unions and found them to be useful. But choice is really the issue here, and so maybe there'll be some other. Um, opportunities for people to band together if that's needed. And still in California, by the way, even though there was a massive fear on the part of the unions and the government that there was going to be a mass exodus uh, outside the unions, that hasn't happened so far. It's a a process, and I think it's going to be a long-term, multi-year educational process to inform workers of their options and their rights. Thank you for doing that and and really literally level setting the attitude because you're right. It's really, really easy to get, you know, um, concerned and not recognize the victories. So, Bob, what do you what's your response to that? Well, I mean, it's exactly uh, exactly right about that. I mean, for us, you know, from where New Choice New York sits, uh, sitting here in the People's Republic of New York, it makes no difference to us if people stay or go. Um, Our whole focus has been, let's give you the information so you can make an informed choice. And and if you look at our website, newchoiceny.com, people will see what's on there. It's information, it's it's tools, it's resources, um, and uh, it's simply trying to provide information that they will not get, workers will not get in any other source. We, we do not keep numbers. We do not care if people opt in or opt out. They should have the ability to make an informed choice. I and think that's a, such a great point. And when you, when you do educate people, and look, we've said this numerous times, and I think all of us have had experience, if not people in our families or friends just in history, where absolutely unions have played an incredible role, a noble role. At, and the question isn't just about, for us, worker freedom and choice, although that's essential. Uh, when it comes to the education process, it's the disruption that also much of this causes uh, that tends to not result in in great results. And so there is a need for a new evolution, obviously, of employees, and employees do like to band together. So how what have we seen that could potentially be a solution? Well, I, I think we... we... Well, I mean, in terms of like an alternative to the unions, I, I think step one is freeing people from the unions uh, before we uh, see if there's actually a need for that. Um, I, 
you know, I mean, again, I don't want to castigate the entire country based on my jaundiced view of life here in California, but certainly the quality of teaching is uh, and education is quite poor here in California, but that's not really the fault of the teachers. That's the fault of so many other things. And so I think what we need is some political will on the part of the government to um, make conditions safer for teachers, for example. In many of our most populous places like Los Angeles County, teachers are physically threatened every day uh, when they go to work, and that's terrible. We have a uh, explosion of English as a second language requirements throughout our state, which is a factor of our uh, immigration policy in uh, the United States. So I think that we are actually going to see a need for advocacy for teachers, but it's going to be very different than the uh, sort of pay-based or vacation-based sort of uh, wage and hour benefit type analysis that the teachers' unions have engaged in so far with little little advantage to the teachers and a lot of advantage to politicians and see more uh, you know, options for people banding together to advocate for safer conditions, for better job satisfaction for teachers um, uh, in, in terms of um, types of students they're teaching, size of classrooms and stuff like that. I, I, you know, I wouldn't presume to speak for teachers about what their concerns are. I know some teachers, I represent some teachers, but I think step one is they're not happy many teachers with the quality of representation they're getting so far. And so I would hope in coming years, a demand would rise up for uh, alternative advocacy um, endeavors that may or may not be funded by dues. Maybe they're funded in other ways, but uh, I think maybe the union model uh, may not be the the method that that goes forward. Maybe there'll be, uh, I think, a lot more advocacy in the courts. I mean, for example, here in California, we've seen some top law firms in the country um, file lawsuits that advocate for the rights of students to better quality and safer education. Maybe we will see more of that in uh, courtroom-type advocacy on behalf of teachers who don't wish to participate in the union paradigm. You know, and Bob, you have been in education or serving as policy advisor and uh, supporting lots of different innovations in education. It seems to me that, you know, your experience here really informs I me. Mean, don't you see when teachers have more freedom and flexibility in their classroom? Now I'm not talking about union and worker freedom, but they tend to have a better experience. They tend to do better. Kind of talk about that is the corollary, right? Rather than being suppressed in this very confining system where rules and regulations hamstring you every step of the way, giving them more of integrity to do what they want to do and what they've been taught to do. Well, it, it's very consistent with what New Choice New York is trying to do in the post-Janus world. People should be trusted. And have, people should be trusted and respected as professionals, no matter what job that they're in, and as human beings with, with good heads on their shoulders. Uh, they should be trusted to make good decisions if given all the right information. That, uh, that is especially true in the classroom where you have teachers who are professionals who have gone through years of training who care and love teaching and do this or uh, get into teaching because they love kids and they want to help them. Give them the tools and the flexibility to do that as, as they best see fit, you know, in collaboration with the larger organizations that they're part of. Right, so be able to be innovative, be able to be flexible, not have to stick to some sort of rigid model of doing things. That's you know that's uh, that's all uh, top down driven and 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 largely controlled 
by influences that are corporate and commercial uh, in their essence and not focused on kids. I do think public employee unions have done a tremendous amount of good for workers and play an important role in education and and uh, and in you know good uh, providing of governmental services. Uh, but what's happened is they've lost their focus and they're now commercial interests mostly concerned with self-preservation and power and not setting aside self-preservation and power for the interests of the people they're trying to serve, who are taxpayers and in the classrooms, uh, kids and families. Uh, and if, if we can take a long-term view, instead of worrying about momentary victories, incremental stories, you know, a, a win today, a loss tomorrow, take a longer view of trying to change the environment so people can be empowered with good information to make good decisions on union membership, on what school they send their children to, on how they vote, on how they process news and information, then I think we've done the larger society uh, a great service. And it's not something that they're getting right now. People are being pulled left and right by social media and by uh, confirmation bias in the news world and by the political process. Right? We should just try giving people some good information and give them the power to let them decide and clear away the obstacles that are preventing them from making good decisions for themselves. I think those are great points, Harmeet and Bob. And I think the other factor here, which we will be talking about in the near future on Reality Check, is the whole issue of teacher comp. Uh, you know, part of the challenge here is that we fund education in completely bizarre and inequitable ways. And the money that we are spending, so little of it ever really reaches the classroom. And so there's a natural reaction and um, and pushback against uh, any entities that uh, don't focus on that. I think it, we've made a big mistake not trying to drive that conversation in a positive way and um, and tie that as well to how much someone wants to do, how well they perform, and how well they get paid, which is kind of the way this country is built. My guests today have been Harmeet Dillon, a San Francisco-based trial lawyer with an emphasis on First Amendment issues, who is working along with Bob Bellafiore in New York, albeit separately, uh, at New Choice New York on public worker freedom uh, educating uh, workers about their rights constitutionally and just uh, as citizens. I am so grateful to you both for joining me today on Reality Check. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jane. It's great to, have, great to be here. Thank you. This is such an important issue, and if you like what you heard in this podcast, you might want to subscribe for free, of course, to make sure you don't miss any future programs. You can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are available, and of course, find out much more information about this and more at CER's website, edreform.com, where you'll also find information about our guests today, Bob Bellafiore and Harmeet Dillon. Thanks so much. Join me again next time for another great edition of Reality Check. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then.